Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You know, I realized this week how uncreative I am. I decided to listen to a few of the beginnings of the sermons in Hebrews. And every one of them, without exception, said, now turn with me to Romans chapter, I mean to Hebrews chapter 12 as we continue our study in this great book. Well, that's a true statement. Oh, I can't believe I say it every single week. So take your Bibles and turn with me to <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12 because we are going to continue this study in this great book. Not very creative, but it's true. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17 today. Last week we looked at verses 12. We were trying to do 12 through 17. We ended up doing 12 through uh, 14 actually last week uh, because we concentrated on three things there. The writer saying, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. That is encouragement. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Lift one another up. Build one another up. There will be people who, who slip and fall and who stumble and and who are weak in their faith and weak in their walk with Christ. And it's our responsibility, the writer says, to come alongside of them. To be, as it were, like the Holy Spirit is to all of us who are Christians. A paraclete, uh, an encourager, to come alongside and lift us up and lift one another up. And, and that's what the writer's simply saying there. You are to minister to one another. In the body of Christ, in the church of Jesus Christ, we are not alone. We are not islands unto ourselves. We're not here to just worship God individually, but we're here to be a part of a corporate body, to worship Him corporately and then to inter interact in one another's lives. So when you see somebody whose knees are feeble or whose, whose hands are weak, don't leave them that way. If you are stronger, if you are encouraged, if you are walking with Christ, then you come alongside them and say, let me minister, let me help, let me, let me strengthen you, let me be a part of, of God's ministry in your life. We're to be involved in one another's lives just like that. We're not to ignore one another. We're not to act as though, hey, you're on your own, buddy. Hope you do better than you're doing right now. You're sure blowing it in your walk with Christ. Hope it gets better. No, we're to minister. We're to care. We're to, we're, we're to help one another in those most deep needs of, of standing firm in Christ. Then coming from the Proverbs, the writer talks about making our paths straight and a path straight for your feet. And we talked about how the importance of that is understanding when the, when, the song, when the Proverbs, wisdom literature, uses this idea of a straight path. It's just talking about right living. It's talking about not moralistic living, but right living in the sense of living God's way. Living in accordance with God's call. Living in accordance with what God has intended for our lives to be. And then the third thing we concentrated on was to pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The holiness, pursue peace with all men and pursue holiness in your walk because without holiness no one will see the Lord. And we saw that's really a two-edged sword that, that the writer is saying there. Without holiness... You won't be in the presence of God. Holiness is to be a part of our life that prepares us for entering into His presence. It's a progressive thing. It's sanctification. It's, it's the word there He uses, you know, pursue the, the sanctification, the 
progressive growth in holiness in this life to prepare you and equip you and, and indeed qualify you by the grace of Christ to stand in His presence. And, and without holiness, you won't see God. Without holiness, you won't be in His presence for all eternity. But there's another side of that double-edged sword, and that is without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness in the lives of believers, and not just a personal hidden idea of, uh, of positional holiness whereby we know we're holy before God because of the work of Christ in our life. We know that to be true. But this is a practical type of holiness that works itself out. As Christ works in our life in sanctifying us, it becomes visible. Not holier than thou, not some kind of legalistic righteousness that man makes up, but the holiness, the fruit of Christ becomes a reality and people see it. And when people see that, they begin to see the Lord. They'll listen to what you have to say about Jesus Christ. So without holiness, you won't see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord through you. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, but it's vital and it's important that we understand it. Then we come to verse 15 and 16 and 17, but really our, our focus is going to be on verse 15, because 16 and 17 is a sort of illustrative and, and warning based on verse 15. He says, See to it that, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards... When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. It's interesting in verse 15 how the writer piggybacks these two thoughts on one another. See to it that no one misses, that no one comes short of the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble within your life. See to it individually that you don't come short of the grace of God. That is, recognize that it's by God's grace and only by God's grace that you are what you are. It's only by God's grace that you are qualified to worship God. It's only by God's grace that you are saved. It's only by God's grace that you are being sanctified. It's all about Him and His work in your life. If you fall short of the grace, if you, if you, if you do what He's warning about here of, uh, of you know, coming short of the grace of God or, or missing the grace of God, basically what you would be doing is you would be saying, I just want to hold on to a little bit of credit. You know, I just want to say, I did this, or I did that, and that made God smile upon me because He thought I was really a good person. You know, I, I, God thought I was good enough to be adopted into His family. God thought I did the right things, and, and thus He adopted me into His family. No, grace means that not only do we uh, you know, get what we don't deserve, but it means that we do not get what we do deserve. Does that make sense? Not only does it mean that, 
that grace is unmerited favor, getting what we don't deserve. That is heaven, home with Christ, relationship with Christ, and all those things. But it also means we don't get what we don't get what we do deserve. That is the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the 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 the, the rejection by God. Be sure that. Be certain that. Be sure that. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And, and I would just ask you briefly, and th this is just a personal question, I know, and, and, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but I would ask you this morning, what is it you're depending upon for your relationship with Christ? Your relationship with God through Christ. Are you depending on the fact that I can keep the law? Well, you can't. So you strike one. Are you depending on the fact that I can, I can keep the Beatitudes, you know, the Christ's words in, in Matthew, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount? Then understand this, you can't strike two. If you're depending on it, just saying, well, I'm just a, a general good guy or good woman or good person, you know, I just, I just, I just work real hard at it and I'm good, so God's got to balance it out and accept me because I'm such a good person. I hate to break it to you, strike three, you're out. There, there, is no, there is no validity in any of that. It's all by the grace of God. It's all by His unmerited favor. It's all by His loving you when you really didn't love Him. It's all about Him, him reaching out to you when you were a rebel and running and, and all of that. And, and you have to see that and see that it's Christ at work in you by His grace every single day. It's not just a matter of I got grace when I got saved. Boy, did I need that grace when I got saved. It's that you need the grace of God every single day since you've been saved. And you will need the grace of God every single moment, every single day from the time you got saved till today until you die and go to be with Him in glory or He comes again. Grace is the, the operative force in a believer's life. And... and and the writer here is saying, see to it that you don't miss that. See to it that you don't come short of that. See to it that you don't miss out on that. It's God's grace that overcomes and meets every need you have. And then he says this. See to it also that there not be a root of bitterness springing up within you. Now, I've got to tell you, when I first read that years ago, and even when I read it again several weeks ago, in preparation for the sermon, the same thought came to me. It seems a little strange that he just rams those two thoughts together. Just a casual reading would almost be like he's, he's saying one thing, then he's skipping a thousand miles down the road, and he's saying something else, but he's not. He, he's, he's dealing with something that's vital here. What he's saying is if you miss the grace of God... If you, if you don't understand the grace of God in your life, there will be in every one of us a root of bitterness that will spring up. In the scriptures, bitterness, all throughout the scriptures, I could give you many references. I don't have time to get into that today, but just trust me and go look it up for yourself. You need something to do this week anyway. Uh, it, it says in the scripture, bitterness is always spoken of as a spiritual poison it's always spoken of as a spiritual poison 
That is, it, it destroys, it kills. Here the writer says, see to it that in your own life, individually, personally, in your wall with Christ, see to it that a root of bitterness, a root of bitterness, not spring up, causing the defilement of many, and by it many be defiled. Now I want you to see this here because it fits in greatly here with what we're talking about. No, it's by God's grace, not by your effort. And if you don't understand that, there is liable to be, there is very possibly going to be, very likely going to be, a root of bitterness that springs up in your life and causes trouble to you. But not only that, it will defile many because of a root of bitterness in your life. Now what is a root? Bitterness is a poison, Scripture talks about. What is a root? Well, a root is, is the source of... They're, they're hidden underground, but they're the source, of, uh, they're the source of, of feeding your life or the plant. If you look at it uh, agriculturally, the roots are what feed the plant that blossoms out and produces the nourishment that causes the fruit to come out on the end of a tree or on the branches of a tree. So the root system is the source of everything in a person's life. He's saying here, you be sure that the grace of God, not bitterness, is the source of in your life. Be sure, be sure that God's grace and not bitterness is what's driving your life, what's growing your life, what, what's, what's filling up your life. You see, typically plants don't show off their roots, do they? I mean, if you've got a plant, you look at it, it we've got roses in our house. I spoke of them a few weeks ago about the trimming and pruning, and they're beginning now to kind of come back. And they're, they're going to be beautiful in just a few weeks. I know they are. And, and, and yet, you know what? I, I never see the roots. And I don't even go out there and dig around the dirt and say, hey, if, they, if it's this pretty on top, I wonder what it looks like underneath, you know? That'd be foolish. The roots are not something that we look at. The roots are not something that is immediately visible when you look at a plant. A root of bitterness is something that is not immediately visible in a person's life, but can very easily produce fruit, be the source of a life that is dishonoring to Christ, even while living within the church. Let me, let me talk about that a minute. Bitterness comes from many sources. It can come from anger, can come from hatred, can even come from disappointment. You know, when a person is just disappointed and yet they don't talk about it, they don't confront the person that disappoints them or, they, or somebody makes them angry and they just back off and don't confront it and deal with it, they just, they just kind of let it simmer and seed, it becomes a root and it can easily turn into a root of bitterness. And, and sometimes, many times, it can honestly be something that the other person doesn't even realize what happened. But it, it begins to simmer. It begins to sit. You know, I've told you, ever since I've known you, you six and a half years, almost seven years, for many of you, some of you less, but I think you've probably all heard me say at one time or another that, hey folks, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm probably going to do something that angers you. 
I'm probably even going to be at some point, because I had to apologize, I had to go and ask forgiveness of one of our members last week. I'm probably going to be short and potentially rude to you if I've got something else on my mind and I'm trying to get something done and you come to me with something. I'll, I might even, I try not to be, I really don't want to be, but, but there are times when I am. You've got to handle that one of two ways. You can handle it by either coming back and saying, Bill, you know what, Pastor, I, I, I don't appreciate what you did. And, and I, I honestly believe, by God's grace, I can say, wow, what did I do? And will you forgive me for that? And then it's your obligation, according to Scripture, to forgive. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but there are other, there's another way of handling it where you say, whew, can't believe he said that. Can't believe he did that. And then you start stewing on it. And, and it could be anybody within the body. They hurt my feelings. They didn't look at me right. They didn't smile at me like they should have. I think, they're, I think they've got something against me. Probably don't. I may see you out somewhere and not speak to you just because I don't see you. Because I'm kind of focused a lot of times. Plus I'm getting older. The eyes don't work as good. But the point is, we, we have people do that and we, we say, hmm, hey, this is biblical psychology or not psychology, secular. This is biblical, but it's important. Sometimes we let little things that have no meaning whatsoever and no intent whatsoever become a source of us dwelling on it and thinking about it. And before we know it, a root of bitterness has, strong, has sprung forth. And the longer we sit on it, and the longer we stew about it, it grows. Now, you may not ever talk directly about what caused it, but the fruit of that bitterness will begin to show in your life. And it, it, it may be a critical spirit. It may be, a, it may be a, a just, I'll be my own self. I'll not have anything to do with anybody else. It might be just withdrawing completely from the fellowship. Any number of things happen. But if, if bitterness is allowed to spring a root in, in your life or my life, it can destroy you. Somebody mentioned a name the other day to me. I won't say it because this is being taped and it's going to be put on the internet. And, but somebody asked me, uh, I bet you really hate old so-and-so. It goes back to about four or five years ago. So I bet you really hate that person, don't you? And I said, you know, the flesh would want to do that, but Christ won't let me do that. I don't hate him. I, I pity him some ways, and I, 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 I wish he weren't like that in some ways, but no, I, I don't hate him. Matter of fact, I saw him last year at a particular gathering that I was praying at, and, and he looked very uncomfortable. And, and at the end of the, the meeting, I went over to him, stuck my hand out, and I said, Hey, good to see you. How you doing? And he was kind of like this, like, what is this all about? I did that for me. Because you see, if you, if you hate somebody or, or, or refuse to forgive somebody, it, it doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. I, I read somewhere a few weeks ago, Don Carson, I believe, who said it. Uh, Donald Carson said, you know, to, to refuse to forgive somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. This for poison? I drink it, and now I'm just waiting for you to die. Who's going to die? 
going to be me. Because the poison affects the one who drinks it. Forgiveness is that way. If you refuse to forgive, it becomes a poison. It, it sinks a root of bitterness in, and that root of bitterness will destroy your life. But not only will it destroy your life, it will defile people around you because the, the fruit of that root will ultimately be seen in your life. Resentment, anger, an attitude. It, it always will. And it, it hurts other people when you refuse to forgive. It may hurt your family, your wife, your husband. It always defies. Said, said, if you let a root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble in your life, it will, by it, many will be defiled. Now think about that in the, in the context of what this writer is talking about. My guess is, we know this church was undergoing persecution. We know this church was, was being hammered because of their commitment to Christ. My guess is that some of the people in the church were standing strong for the gospel. And they would not give an inch. And they were faithful to Christ, even under great persecution. But I have a feeling there are a few weaker Christians over here who were kind of wimping out on some cases. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go back and make a sacrifice. I'll go back and, 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 and go before the altar. And I'll go back and, and talk to the, the rabbi or the priest. And I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. Still holding on to belief in Christ, but yet just kind of weakly not wanting to suffer, not wanting to be persecuted, they give in to some of the temptation. You know what I mean? And I've got a feeling these who were more spiritual, stronger, standing firm, started feeling resentment toward those who were weaker. And, and began to say, huh, you're not as good a Christian as I am. I'm taking my suffering. I'm taking it like a man. And they're wimping out. And they let that simmer. They let that stew. And it began to be a root of bitterness that began to defile others in the body. I think that's why he started off this section by saying, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. There are those who are feeble in their faith. Don't look down on them. Don't resent them. Don't think less of them. Come alongside of them and help strengthen their arms and strengthen their knees. Help them out of their feeble spiritual condition. Root of bitterness will destroy you and it will destroy the fellowship of the body. That's why one of my prayers every day for this church is, Lord, and I know we, we, we get on each other's nerves sometimes. I get on your nerves sometimes. Heck, I get on Retta's nerves a lot. <laughs> In just a few months, we'll be 40 years together. There's a lot of nerve getting on there. She never gets on mine, but I get on hers a lot. But, but the point is, you, you don't... I, I, she, she never walked out. She never said, well... Just gonna do that. I'm just gonna quit. See what I'm saying? This is a family. This is a this is a covenant relationship. We talk about that over and over and over again. But it's about being together and it's about, about strengthening one another and helping one another when we're weakest. 
There were two commandments that God gave that Jesus said were the greatest of all of them. I mean, we know the ten. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven image. You shall uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and so on and so forth as you go down through the ten. We know those ten commandments. But there were two when Jesus was asked by the, the, the lawyer in, in Matthew chapter 22, which are the greatest of the commandments. And he was thinking about those ten that can you just pick out one or two, Lord, and, and give us an idea of if we keep these one or two, we'll be all right. Now, which are the greatest of these commandments? And Jesus said, here it is. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. That's what we're commanded to do. To love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. That's our whole being. He's to be first. Love Him above everything else. And then the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and all the prophets. Well, you want a summary verse of the Bible? There it is. Some of the guys talked about the meta-narrative in Scripture today. The learning what the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation. That's it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your might, all your soul, all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus kind of tweaked that a little bit for within the body. And within the body, He said in John 15, 12, He simply made this statement. He said, This is My commandment, that you love one another just or in the same way as I have loved you. Boy, you talk about a synopsis verse of the whole Bible that just gets it down to one thought. In the body of Christ, we are to love one another as He has loved us. You know, what does His love do for us? It gives us life. It forgives us. It, it does a multitude of things. What we have to understand is, is that love is the exact opposite of unforgiveness, of envy, of jealousy, of hatred, of pride, of bitterness, of racism, and everything else. I mean, love is love breaks down all those barriers. Love, loving one another within the body as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved you, means I'm willing to die for you. Good thing we're not normally called on to do that. But I'm willing to give of myself to care for you. I'm willing to forgive you. Not because I'm a good person. Not because forgiveness comes easy. Let me tell you, in, in old Bill Haynes, forgiveness is not easy. It takes, takes the grace of God to do it. For me to be able to forgive takes His strength and His power. I mean, that, it's just a reality. One of my weaknesses, out of about 30,000, time 30,000. But the point is that when we truly love one another, a real part of that is forgiveness of one another. So we forgive when we're hurt. We forgive when we've been mistreated. We forgive when... when Nature and natural things just say we don't want to. Forgiveness is forgiveness shows that we love Christ. 
Forgiveness shows that we really do love Him. Do you realize that a lack of forgiveness can block your prayers and your worship? Remember when Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, and He was talking, He said, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, the Old Testament altar, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Don't offer it. Just leave it there. And go. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and present your offering. We could spend all day talking about that because there is a deep significance there that your lack of reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ, that lack of reconciliation affects your worship. It affects your prayers. Don't let a root of bitterness destroy your relationship with Christ. Don't let it, worse, don't let it destroy your worship. Not only that, unforgiveness or a root of bitterness just opens the door wide open to Satan, for Satan to have an advantage over you. It, 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 it puts a chink in the spiritual armor that we are to wear as believers. I don't have time to get into all that, but it, it makes a vulnerable spot where the enemy can attack and destroy. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, he said, but one, whom you for, but, but one whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. You know what the schemes of Satan are? They're to distract you. They are to cause you to stumble. His schemes are devices by which he can distract your attention away from your walk with Christ, from keeping your path straight and level, walking in God's will, to pull us aside and get us caught up in something that really doesn't matter. And that's what bitterness does. The root of bitterness causes us to see things through distorted eyes. You know, if I take my glasses off, it's like, in a, in a spiritual sense, unforgiveness has taken over. I don't see very well. Matter of fact, I can recognize Todd, and beyond that back, it's pretty, pretty blurry. If I didn't know you always sit in the same place, so I could name you off, I probably wouldn't recognize you. And it's gotten worse even as I've gotten older. And so there's this, there's this, I just don't see things right. I don't, I would probably stumble on some things if I, if I didn't have my glasses on. But, but when I put my glasses on, it's like forgiveness takes over and I see clearly. I can recognize anybody in this room. A root of bitterness, no matter what caused it to start growing, growing, no matter how little a thing it might have been, will destroy you, cause trouble in your life, and by it many will be defiled. I remember my first church out of seminary. Small church. 
got them all right here in this middle section. But we had three sections like this, and one group sat over here, and one group sat over here, and a few sat in the middle. They were the uncommitted, un undeclared, you know. But this side had an agenda, and this side had an agenda, and this side had some people that didn't care about people on this side, and vice versa, and they'd been together for years and years, and yet they just, I mean, that side would go out that door, that side would go out that door. And it, was, and it was all about, really about two women. I can't help but think of Philippians. Let Eudodia and Sintashi live in harmony. We had a Eudodia and a Sintashi, and they were... And I remember one Wednesday night, we were in prayer meeting. We were ta I, was, I was teaching on revival. What is biblical revival? And I had been on this for weeks. But I made the statement that, you know, it could be some of your attitudes of unforgiveness that are keeping, they're defiling the body, and they're keeping true revival from taking place within our church. And you could have heard a pin drop. Both women were there. And one of them stood up and looked me square in the eye. And I didn't know if I was going to be hit or screamed at or what. And she said, do you mean to tell me that if I don't forgive her, that I'm affecting this body and keeping revival from coming? What do you think I said? Oh, no, 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 I don't, I'm not talking about you. I said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And the other one stood up and she said, you mean i got to forgive her? And I said, only if you want to walk with Christ. Now both these thought they were really spiritual ladies, understand. I said, yeah, you've got to forgive her and she's got to forgive you. They got out of their seats and they came to the front and they embraced. And they said, we'll you forgive me. And the other one said, yes. And the other one said, will you forgive me? And she said, yes. Now I'd like to tell you that revival broke out and thousands were saved the next Sunday. <laughs> a small church, folks. But I'll tell you what, a spirit of demonic oppression was lifted from that place. Now they didn't become the best of friends. They were friendly finally. They didn't become the best. They didn't start having dinner with each other after church every Sunday. But it broke a root of bitterness in both their lives that had affected other people. Had defiled other people. And literally was at a point, when I got there in 1979, it was at a point of, of really two churches sitting in the same room, but neither one of them caring for the other. That was broken. And there was a spirit of unity that began to come up. I want to tell you, that wasn't Bill Haynes' doing. It wasn't because I was such an outstanding teacher on revival. It's because on that night, God, by His grace, through Jesus Christ, gripped their hearts. And they were broken before Him. There are many of us who need broken experiences before Christ. 
There are many of us who, who have let pride or whatever just kind of seal us into this way we are. And we really need for we really need to say, Lord Jesus, do I have a root of bitterness that maybe I don't maybe it's maybe it's a root that has gone so deep I've forgotten it's there, but it's still producing a poisonous fruit that's coming out. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's deep and happened so long ago I'd forgotten about it. And maybe you need to say, Lord, show me where that is. Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I want to love one another. I want to, I want to speak the, the truth to my world. I want to speak the truth before my children. I want to speak the truth before my family, my, my parents. I want to be able to say, I love the body of Christ. I love those people that God has brought me in a covenant relationship for one reason, and that is because of your grace. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And this is how men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another, if, if unforgiveness and bitterness is not to be found among you. That's what the Scripture says. You know, he takes an illustration like Esau and says, this is, this is what I'm talking about. When you let bitterness take over your life, when you let a root of bitterness sink in, you, defile your, you, you harm yourself, you defile others, and you become like Esau. It leads you into immorality. Now, we hear immorality, I know what we think about. We think about adultery and stealing and killing, and, and all that is immorality, but there's a lot that falls short of that. John said, you know, if you, if you hate your brother, you've committed, or when John said that, it was Jesus said that, excuse me. You hate your brother, you've committed murder already. But if you forgive, you've cut off the root of bitterness. The Spirit of God is ready to work in a mighty way when we are broken before Him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we must guard against defilement in the body the body of Christ Father we must examine our own lives and see if there be a root of bitterness and to forgive and seek forgiveness Lord we must come to the point even as we sang this morning all I have is Christ. And Jesus is my life. That's grace. I don't have good works. I don't have reputation. I don't have stuff to bring. I just come before you, King of glory. 
All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Father, break us where we need to be broken and then touch us and heal us. Discipline us where we need to be disciplined. And then put your arms around us and remind us how much you love us. Lord, as we face all that's going on in our church now for the next year, as excited as we are, don't let us give Satan the opportunity. Let's be, let's be very, let us, Lord, help us be very knowledgeable of his schemes. And let us look to Christ. Let us look to your grace. Do your work. Father, I pray for men and women here this morning that don't know you. Your Holy Spirit is working in their life. Draw them to, I ask you to draw them to Christ. Young people and adults alike that need to come and confess Jesus Christ. Lord, do your work. Oh, we stand amazed at what you do. The whole venture of salvation. Thank you, Father. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.